Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 70, how to question what you're learning. This is the second of seven episodes in our critical thinking series about using the squared method. Critical thinking is a critical component of succeeding in college, but many students have never been taught how to think critically. The squared method outlines seven methods of increasing this skill, summarizing, questioning, unpacking, analyzing, relating, explaining, and defining. In this episode, we're going to talk about questioning what you're learning. Questioning is the art of finding the weak or missing points of any topic and knowing why they're weak or missing. We do this by asking questions and finding out which ones don't have answers. There are three kinds of questions we need to ask about what we're learning. First, we should be able to answer the basic newspaper questions about it. Who, what, where, when, why, and maybe how. Second, we can ask, what's missing from what I'm learning, and why was it left out? Finally, we can ask, would knowing these answers increase my understanding of what I'm learning, and how? The newspaper questions give us the basics. Who did this? What did they do? What happened? When did it happen? Where did it happen? Why was it done? How was it done? A newspaper article should give us answers to at least the five W questions and possibly the how if it's relevant. Now we also need to realize there may be two or even three sets of these newspaper questions about what we're learning. If we're studying a short story, for example, we might be asking them both about the writer of the story and about the content of the story, the characters, the setting, the theme, and so forth. So when we read a story in a literature class, we'll have two sets of newspaper questions. Who's the author? What did they write? When did they write it? Where were they when they wrote it? Why did they write it? And maybe how did they write it? We'll also have a second set of newspaper questions about the story itself. Who's the main character? What are they doing? When is this happening? Where is this happening? Why did they do what they're doing? And maybe how did they do it? If we're reading about a scientific process, we'll probably want to know who came up with it, when they did, what the theory is, why they were pursuing that question, and how the process works. Where they were when they came up with it may or may not be relevant, but where the process is useful might be important to know. Now, some of these questions may not matter so much depending on the subject. If I'm learning about a painter, I may not need to know whether or not she had children unless her paintings had children as their main subjects. Then I might want to know about whether she had children because it could open a window on what drove her subject choices. In the same vein, if I'm learning about a scientist, their name may be important so I can talk about their findings in a way that's easy to reference. Einstein's theory of relativity or Newton's law of gravity. But knowing about their personal lives probably won't be relevant. 
The important information is the theory more than the person who came up with it. Even the who question may not be relevant. For example, who cares who came up with a quadratic equation? Unless you're a historian who studies the history of math, it probably won't matter. Now, the second type of question, once you're done with those newspaper questions, is going to be, what's missing? What's been left out? I've got a humorous example of this, a story by Beverly Cleary, Ramona the Pest. This story has a scene with children in a kindergarten class. Ramona's going to her first day of kindergarten. And for story time, the teacher, Miss Binney, reads them a book about Mike Milligan, who works all day on a steam shovel. The children's first question at the end of the story is, how did Mike Milligan go to the bathroom, Miss Binney? The story doesn't mention it. Now, this is an amusing example, but it's also relevant. The poor flustered teacher tries to explain that since going to the bathroom isn't part of the story, it's not important to know when the steam shovel driver went to the bathroom, but those kindergartners aren't buying it. To them, the bathroom is very important, and they can't understand why it wasn't part of the story. When you read material for your class, ask it, what aren't you telling me that I still need to know in order for this to all make sense? You may find that everything you need to know was included, but you may also find loose ends that aren't tied up or missing information that's needed in order to make sense of an assertion. For example, is there a citation to other work that was done that shows how this process works? Or are you expected to just take the process you're being told about for granted? And if so, why? Finally, the third type of question is whether knowing what was left out would increase your understanding of the material or not. For Miss Binney's kindergartners, Knowing how Mike Milligan got to use the bathroom on that long day would increase their understanding of the story, but for most adults, it would not. For a person learning about Einstein's theory of relativity, it's probably not important to know he was Jewish or German or learning disabled. But for a person learning about disability in famous people or about the achievements of German Jews, it might be important to know those things. Similarly, many of Stephen King's works involve alcoholics, writers or alcoholic writers as the main character. And this may seem arbitrary to many students until they find out King had a serious addiction problem in his younger years. I know of one student who wrote their master's thesis in American literature on King's alcoholism and on how it informed most of his early work. It was a fascinating thesis and it came about because the student asked, what aren't we being told in a class on American literature that dealt with a couple of Stephen King's stories? Johann Sebastian Bach wrote most of his music, not as music, but as mathematical experiments. When you know that piece of information, understanding his fugues becomes an exploration of math as much as an exploration of harmony. That can give a person who may not like music, but does like math, an in for understanding Bach in their music appreciation course. Now, I have a recent example of how these questions actually helped me learn something new. When I was prepping my globalization class for this upcoming fall, I discovered in the material that Karl Marx actually laid out very specific standards for what a communist revolution would look like, and that none of the ones that we've seen so far that have called themselves communist revolutions, whether they were in Russia or China or Vietnam or Korea, none of those have qualified. The closest probably Cuba, but even then that's stretching it. Because Marx felt we had to have a high level technological and economic infrastructure already in place in a nation 
before a communist revolution would work. And the ones that we've seen so far, he would have called them peasant revolts. This shocked me. I've studied sociology for going on 15 years. And this answered a question I had never thought to ask about what I'd learned about Marx. What was left out? What wasn't I taught about his views and his theories? And now I wonder what else I wasn't taught or told. And this is probably going to lead me into reading a lot of original sources and analysis of his work in the months to come because I want to know. I'll go back to my experiences as a graduate student and as an undergrad. It was only at my fourth school, two undergrad and two graduate, that I was formally taught about W.E.B. Du Bois's theory about race and conflict. And this raised the thought process for me. W.E.B. Du Bois was black. And three of my four schools didn't teach his work. Who else's work is getting ignored? And I try and use that and include writings by people who haven't gotten as much fame as well as standard theorists in my classes. I feel like questioning makes me a better teacher because now I'm searching for new voices and ideas to give a more complete picture of theory to my students. And as scholars, when Adam and I do research, part of what we do is a literature review to see what people have written about our subject or topic, what questions they've asked and answered, and this lets us show how our new research either confirms these findings, challenges them, or asks and answers questions that haven't been addressed yet. Now students, here's how you can use this. Figure out what questions are important ones. Do you need to know how the steam shovel driver went to the bathroom? If you're a kindergartner, maybe you do. If you're a teacher, probably not. Is it important to know about the personal life of the writer that you're studying? If you're talking about the prevalence of alcoholic writers in their work and how they were an alcoholic too, maybe it is. But if the question you're asking is just to satisfy your curiosity and not because it's going to actually help you understand what you're learning, it's probably not an important question. So, you know, bring that to the teacher in office hours or go do your own investigation, but don't raise your hand in class for that question. The way teachers can use this Ask your students what they feel was left out. Get them into small groups and have them identify holes in the information they're learning. Ask them why they feel it's important to know about the writer's personal life, or the scientist's marriage, or the artist's residence. You may be surprised at what they come up with. So that's what we have for you in episode 70. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com, and we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 71, when we'll talk about how to unpack the details of what you're learning. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.